If you're trying to solve a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, you can just try jamming pieces together, but that could take days or weeks. But if you approach it with a framework or mental model, like starting off with edges, you can increase your chances of success sooner rather than later. That's also true for marketing. Mental models and frameworks give you the shortcut to success. And that's where Corey Haynes comes in. He's the co-founder of SwipeWall and he's consulted and worked with dozens of startups including Savical, Riverside.fm, and Bearmetrics. And he's a huge fan of mental models for marketers. He's even created a whole course about it. Today we'll be digging into one of his favorite mental models for marketers, second order thinking, which will help you create more bulletproof marketing plan. Like Neo from the movie The Matrix. In this Marketing Pops episode, you learn first, what is the second order thinking mental model? Second, three ways marketers can apply the second order thinking to their weekly and quarterly marketing planning. Third, how Corey applied this second order thinking mental model to SwipeWall's embed feature. And fourth, why starting more side projects has helped Corey accelerate his marketing career. For each episode, I create a power-ups cheat sheet you can use, download, fill in, and apply the marketing concepts to your business right away. Go to marketingpowerups.com get those right now. Are you ready? Well, let's go. Marketing Power-Ups. Ready? Go! Here's your host, Ramley John. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the marketing power-ups that you suggested around Second order thinking, when you introduce this in your course, Mental Models for Marketers, you share this story around bare metrics free tier and how second order thinking, uh, this framework that you come across, could have helped uh, make sure that this is successful. Can you, what is that story? How did that, you know, what is that story about? It's funny because this was, a, this was actually before I was the head of growth there for a brief stint. Um, but Josh, you did a lot of blogging. So you read about the story of bare metrics adding a free plan. Uh, I think this was all the way back in August of 2015. So way back in the day, you know, one of the startup OGs. Um, and so essentially there were like for a free trial right into like a paid account forever since inception. And then, you know, probably like growth starts becoming more of a thing. Free plans become more of a thing. And I start to see some kind of like competitors create free plans and start with free tiers. So I think, okay, let's get in the game. Let's start a free plan. So it launched the free plan. Uh, they actually like launched it with this whole kind of fun campaign called Beard Metrics, which is like a play on bear metrics. It's sort of like social, global, local analytics for your beard and something stupid and ridiculous like that. But made a whole kind of like marketing stunt about it. And then from that was like, oh, also we have a free plan. Uh, so just like a fun kind of cheeky way to announce that. Um, and I think over the next few weeks, they had like over a thousand new free accounts created. Um, and so, uh, you know, they had a couple of people upgrade to paid after that. I forget exactly, exactly what their metric was that kind of like was the trigger to push them over the threshold to become a paying customer. But anyways, by all accounts and measures, it looked like things were going great until they weren't because then what started happening was that there was more and more free accounts there and those free accounts were generating the lion's share of the support. And then. Um, all these free accounts were using so much bandwidth and data usage that it was slowing down the app and it was causing a lot of bugs and errors. And then all of a sudden the engineers weren't working on new features. They were just working mm -hmm. on bug fixes and 
uh, integration fixes and um, metrics, you know, all this kind of like crazy edge cases and things that the free customers were doing to try to accommodate them. Um, the average routing per user uh, dropped, I think, from like $100 to $90. And then churn went up from, I think, like 4% to like 10% or something like that. Um, I forget the exact metrics. It's always a little bit fuzzy because you have to like match the exact kind of time and date that this happened. Um, anyways, servers went on fire. It was kind of like this downward spiral, you know, of like all these things. One problem leads to another problem, leads to another problem, and then the kind of cycle repeats. And uh, so I think after maybe about four or five months, that they ended up shutting the free plan down because just it was just causing too much chaos. And at the end of it, I think that they only, I think that the free plan generated around 53 customers and there were about 60 churn customers they could directly attribute to free plan issues that were their cost. Um, so like this is a ROI negative <laughs> experiment for us. And it was all because of these sort of second order consequences of, you know, you introduce a free plan and then it has all these downstream waterfall effects on the rest of the business that you never would have really thought about before unless you had sat down and thought about like, okay, and then what? Uh, what, what, what will this change about the business? Um, we can expect more free accounts. What does that do to our servers? What does that do to our marketing funnel? What does that do to... And you have to just really play that out across everything to really think through all the second order consequences in order to expect something like that, where then you can kind of figure out, okay, I can expect for this to go this way or that way. But really, they're kind of just going into a blind. It's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, can you can you walk us through a little bit about this uh, second order thinking? What What is that exactly? And where, where where is that? You know, I believe you came across it from a book. Um, mm -hmm. What is second order thinking for people who people are not familiar with it? You, it's something related with consequence. Um, but what? how would you define what second order thinking is? It's uh, a mental model for marketing. And um, one of my favorites, I actually got it from Ray Dalio when I was reading one of his books back in the day. Um, because, you know, Ray Dalio is a, one of the big time investors. I think his hedge fund is Bridgewater, something like that. One of the really, really, you know, big brained guys in the world, right? Um, and so he talks about this idea of like, you have first order thinking or first level thinking is kind of just like surface level, right? It's like whatever is right in front of you. Um, you're only looking down at your feet, essentially. You're, you know, stepping one, placing one foot forward and making that step. And then you have second order thinking or second level thinking is when you're thinking beyond that, right? So it's where you can't really see around the corner, but it's the next turn you're about to make, right? Um, and then third level is the one after that. Fourth level is the one after that. But really, most people fail to see beyond uh, you know, where they're, what's right in front of them, the first level of thinking, kind of just what's right there in front of them on the surface. Um, cause really what, what we have in SAS in particular is that everything is, uh, an interconnected system. You have all these factors at play with each other. It's a lot, a lot, a lot like our body, for example. Um, you think like, well, um, if I, uh, if I eat this food, then it'll help me in this area. But then it might as, well, might as well have these side effects, right? And then that side effect might also cause this other thing, right? So like you're thinking on the on the first level thinking like, you know, a bowl of ice cream at night is going to make a big difference because it's yummy and it's good and, and I love it. But then the second order thinking is, well, what are all these extra calories doing for my body? Okay, now I've 
you know, gain a couple of pounds. Now I feel a little bit worse. I'm going to eat more ice cream. Now I need to go to the gym more, or now I need to do these other things. I need to cut back on calories. And it just, you know, it's this whole kind of downstream effect that you never really would have thought about. Um, anyways, uh, second level thinking or second order thinking is basically just the practice of trying to see around the corner, trying to look beyond what's right in front of you and anticipate the changes that happen from one variable that you change in your life or in your business in front of you. It makes a ton of sense. And you, I love how you put it, that it's in things in SaaS specifically is very, very interconnected. And you're trying to understand what is the second order impact or consequences of yes. the plans that you have. Uh, I see this as almost helping you create more bulletproof marketing plans or more resilient. <laughs> you know, what is the impact mm -hmm. of the plan that you have or the tactic that you have is, is what I'm understanding. Is that right? Because what happens a lot of times is that we just kind of like churn through ideas. We churn through changes. And we're looking for that kind of flash and that pop and that immediate result where we say this thing was a success or a failure. But sometimes the real impact doesn't happen on the first level. It happens on the second level. And so you might think this thing is uh, great, but maybe it's actually having negative conse consequences in the second or third order. Or maybe you think something is really bad, but it actually has positive consequences on the second or third order. Um, we'll see this a lot with like, uh, you know, first order thing is very fast and easy. So you think we're just going to launch a new website. We're just going to launch a new uh, a new price. We're going to launch a new product. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to change this about our funnel. Um, and on the surface, it might seem like, well, there's nothing negative out of this, but it's because it wouldn't show up in what you're looking at and directly in the thing that you just changed. It's going to happen elsewhere in the business, like Barometrics introduced in free plan, and then seeing that second order consequence of uh, the servers being on fire and support going through the roof and churn going up, right? Um, it doesn't, the free account was going up. There's more and more users. Like that number is getting bigger and bigger. It looks better every day, but you can't call it a success until you can really match it against all the second order consequences. Um, so we see a lot of things like, uh, especially within business, um, some of these big changes, like what if we change a headline on our website or in an ad? Um, what if we change the, uh, the structure of our website and the URL? If we're going from like a subfolder to a subdomain, or if we're going from um, you know the way that you uh, you know put URLs together, for example, could be big kind of SEO changes on um, the way that you title certain pages or the keywords that you go after. Uh, it could be prices, doubling prices, introducing new price, introducing a free plan. Of course, as we just saw, is a, is a pretty classic one you have to be careful of. Um, it could be just the sign up process in general, going from Maybe uh, you know, sign up directly to get to request a demo, or vice versa, right? All these things have trade-offs. I think the the real benefit in second order thinking is trying to make the right trade-offs and understanding that there are trade-offs, so you can be aware of those in the future, so you know that you're not making a bad trade-off. I love that. Like it really is, and you're right. I think mar as marketers, it's so easy to get caught up with the shiny object, <laughs> the new shiny object. And this, you know, you're really trying to understand, you know, the actions and the plans that we create. What is the impact to that? Can you talk? Uh, what are some ways that marketers can apply this to, uh, to to their to their marketing so that it is it is definitely like, uh, you know, more resilient and more bulletproof and more well thought out uh, and understanding the the trade offs that 
that we are making when it comes to marketing? Uh, I think that one of the big ones is messaging and copywriting, particularly when it comes to the the website. Um, we saw this with SavvyCal when I first started was um, there was a version of the website and especially like the big kind of like hero section with the headline and the subfold or the subheader call to action. Um, and it was converting okay, but people still had some questions around how is it different from Calendly and what uses it and what's different about it. Why should I give this time of day, basically? Um, so we went with our whole positioning exercise, updated the website. This is one of those cases where it was a very positive second order consequence where, um, you know, changing the website doesn't get us more website visitors, but it 3 x our conversion rate from visitor to sign up. Just from a simple change in the website and mainly just swapping out the headline and the subheader and then a couple of small sections around the features further down the page. And... Um, that was a really positive second order consequence of like, hey, you know, this isn't going to make like immediate impact on our traffic overall, but it's going to make a big impact on our conversion rate. And of course, we're going to be looking for, you know, things like churn and uh, retention and average revenue per customer and trying to really quantify, is there any other bad trade-off that we're making? Um, but for that one, it, it was a no. What was a bad trade-off, although with SavvyCal a little bit later on, was funnily enough introducing a free plan again this is also a very tricky <laughs> thing for companies to do but what we had done was um SavvyCal had largely been sort of freemium but basically the way that it worked was you could create a free account but then to use your scheduling link you had to start a trial so it's basically like you can create the account you can come in you can fill it with your settings you can set everything up and then when you're ready to go then you can start the trial so we thought okay let's try to go act actually true freemium and let's make everything kind of unlocked as soon as you create the account. You don't have to start a trial. The trial's already started for you. For whatever reason, this absolutely tanked the conversion rate from sign up to paid. I don't know why. It didn't, it didn't seem like there's any logical reason because it's it really is like objectively a better user experience, not having to click more buttons, take make more decisions, and um uh, you know, everything's like more available earlier for the customer. But for whatever reason, there was a second order consequence of the signup rate going down from sign up to paid. And it was actually, it's funny because it's um, like the first order thinking and the first order uh, measurement that we had was that there were a lot more people um, basically starting the trial, right? Instead of like 20 or 30 trials a month, we were going to like 90 to 100 trials a month, for example. But the actual net number of new customers from those trials dropped. <laughs> and so, or the, again, the, the rate just went, you know, drastically down. So instead of, for example, you know, we had 20 trials and we're converting 10 of those. We went to 100 trials and we're converting five of those. So, of course, we're, we had to revert that. We had to go back, you know, and, and do that. Same with doubling our prices, right? People are always talking about charge more, charge more. Well, what about the second order consequences of now you have less customers, which makes you a little bit more fragile to churn, um, but also maybe introduces another competitor to be the more cost-friendly option. And maybe you're, um, you know, you're just being priced out enough for your customers to where you're not the default anymore, or people have to think about it just a little bit more. Um, low prices is actually kind of a moat because, um, you're giving up margin to some degree, and it's always going to be the the easiest 
um, option for people to, to get started with. Um, so people always, you know, oh, I'm going to charge more. You have companies like Intercom who are just like going way up market and they're just pricing out all their small startups and small customers. And it's like, okay, but you have to really think about what are the consequences of that? Well, you're not going to be as much of a household brand name. You're not going to get as much recommendations. You're not going to get as much word of mouth. You're not going to get as much um, recognition for uh, you know other people using or seeing Intercom as an example on another site because they have a very kind of viral loop with their little Intercom widget and websites. You're just not going to see that on as many websites. So, wow, like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of consequences. You can run that through... Um, a bunch of different scenarios going from, you know, having your prizes. There's a lot of, a lot of second order consequences. Um, even with Swipewell now, we're like just on the cusp of hopefully having a really good second order consequence, which is that um, now you can share collections, which basically means you can share a version or a little curated swipe file of yours with other people publicly. So this is our first viral loop for the product, which is amazing because that allows us to get in front of a lot more people and we can be embedded on the websites and people can share links with their clients or uh, they can just kind of curate a list. If you're, you know, someone was asking me the other day, like, oh, what are the best examples of SaaS onboarding? And I just like went through and curated a couple examples and made it like, oh, KP's swipe file uh, or SaaS onboarding swipe file and then sent it to him directly, right? Um, but hopefully that brings us a lot more top of funnel users and brand awareness and things like that because we've thought through and not only will it bring us that, it'll also bring us um, more backlinks, which actually might have a second order, a third order consequence of helping us with SEO in ranking higher in Google and getting more traffic. So now we're thinking through like third and fourth order consequences of like, what is what is the change of the change that this unlocks? You know what I mean? Um, really, really getting downstream. But anyways, those are just a few examples. Before we continue, I want to thank the sponsor for this episode, 42 Agency. When you're in scale-up mode, you have to hit your KPIs. And the pressure is on to deliver demos and signups. It's a lot to handle. Demand gen, AVM, email sequences, revenue ops, and more. And that's where 42 Agency, founded by my good friend, Camille Rexton, can help you. They're a strategic partner that's helped B2B SaaS companies like ProfitWell, Teamwork, Sprout Social, and HubDoc build a predictable revenue engine. If you're looking for performance experts and creative to solve your hardest marketing problems at a fraction of the cost of enough, look no further. Go to 42agency, that's number 42agency.com, talk to a strategist, to learn how you can build a high-efficiency revenue engine now. Find that link in the description or show notes. Well, that's all for now. Let's jump back into this episode. I want to ask around... Uh, practical ways that people can apply, marketers can apply the second order thinking around what questions they should be asking themselves or their team and what kind of exercises they should be doing to make sure that they're thinking about, you know, whether changing the pricing or they're changing, you know, uh, applying some kind of viral uh, campaign or some kind of new channel that they want to pursue like TikTok or some mm-hmm. other thing <laughs> for their campaign. They've really thought through the trade-off. What are those, some, what are those practical uh, advice and, and uh, things that they can do to make sure that they're thinking through second or third or even fourth order uh, consequences. A couple of practical things to keep in mind. Um, I think the first one is always ask yourself, and then what? Okay, so we want to do X and then what? What does that change? What does this affect? What does this touch? Um, how how do we expect things uh, to go after making this change? Especially in marketing, it's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of changes always happening. There's a lot of new things you're always shipping. So always ask yourself, 
and then what? Um, another question to ask related to this is, uh, what does this affect? What does this touch? How else can um, how else might we how else might might we measure the effect of this of this thing that we're changing? Um, because again, we're looking at things like okay, we're changing the signup process. Well, it's not just going to change the signups. It's also going to change churn. It's also going to change retention. It's also going to change average per customer. It's also going to change virality, word of mouth. It's also going to change the amount of customers that we have. Right? It's going to change everything. <laughs> so you just want to be aware of those things. In fact, you can even diagram it in like a flow chart using like a whimsical or a mirror, whatever it is, like just, okay, we're making this thing where in the ecosystem is this happening and what else is downstream from this thing? You just have that diagram kind of map out like, well, here's the things we have to really keep a close eye on. Um, another good practice is to ask yourself what it would look like in the future or how it could change things in the future. So 10 minutes from now, 10 days from now, 10 years down the line, what, what can you expect to see from this change or from this experiment? Um, also ask yourself what it'll look like repeated. So can you do this a second, third, fourth, a hundred time? So this is one thing with like running discounts or promotions or things like Black Friday or just, you know, get, getting people to practice because again, another like second order thinking, well, if you keep repeating giving your customers a lot of discounts and offering a lot of coupon codes, then you train them to expect that. And then you only get sales and signups when you offer those things. And then you have to give it away because or you have to get rid of it because it's uh, too costly for your business. You're giving it too much margin. And now all of a sudden the pool is dry. You don't have any customers interested in buying your stuff. Right. Um, so think about like how repeatable is this thing? What happens if I keep doing this? If I keep making these changes, even there are things like if I change the headline of my website every week, will someone really know what we do? You know what I mean? Like, are we, if I keep doing this, are we just going to confuse people on, on what we are and who we are? And, you know, I kind of found this with like some of the, you know, you have like, I don't want to rack on them because I love, I love the company. I love the, the founders, but Drift. And mm. like, it felt like every quarter they were inventing like a new category and they were calling right. themselves something different. And I was just like, dude, I don't know what you are anymore. I don't know what to call you. To me, you're just like a live chat widget, but now you're like a revenue acceleration platform. Mm. I don't know what that is. And last last time you were a conversational marketing platform, and before that you were a X, Y, and Z or market automation. I don't know. Um, so, like, ask yourself, what are the consequences of repeating this thing over and over again? How repeatable is it? Um, and then, if you really want to get advanced and sophisticated, think about those kind of third order consequences. So you really try to you know go around the corner and then around another corner. And trying to think through like, okay, what are the changes and things that this affects? And then what are the consequences of those things being changed? What else can we anticipate? So a good example, again, would be like SwipeWell introducing uh, the shared collections, which makes it more viral, allows people to share those things, which also helps us build backlinks, which also helps us with SEO and getting more traffic to our site, right? So positive or negative, trying to think through the third order consequences further down the line usually after like the third or fourth order or like level, however you want to think about that, um, it's kind of impossible. You're just making like these really uh, big guesses, but um, it is a good practice to go through that kind of like third, fourth level stream and, and those downstream effects. I love all of this example. So practical ways that they can apply it, uh, you know, just instead of being, having a knee jerk reaction of like, oh, let's do this because they're doing it. 
uh, you're really thinking through specifically for your business and for your customers exactly you know what are the consequences and the effects of this. Thank you for, for sharing that. I want to actually shift gears now and talk a little bit about career power-ups. And for sure. you, you've been in marketing for you know over six years now. You've head of growth at Bear Metrics. You've consulted for companies like Riverside. And now you you have your own SaaS, SwipeWell. What's been something that's helped you in your career, in your marketing career, specifically in progressing and leveling up your, your skills or your yourself as a marketer? I think the side projects have been the most valuable thing to me personally. Um, really just get my hands dirty and learning through experience. Being, having like that really like tangible, okay, this is mine. So I'm doing to me like that's the most, uh, like the best environment for me to learn is from really to make it real. Uh, whereas before I'd be like, oh yeah, I know SEO. I know how to like create content. But then when I'm doing it for myself, like, oh, this is hard. Or like, oh, I see what people mean when they talk about this. Or, oh, like, you know, it kind of like clicks more, right? It just makes more sense. Um, so things like, you know, starting podcasts and newsletters, creating courses, um, little no-code tools and projects that I've shipped before, like all those kind of experiences in some have really, really helped me. I wish I would have done more sooner and earlier. Um, but I, I also, like, I'm just so grateful. Like that's one of the, the big things um, that I advise people to do if they're just getting started, if they want to level up, is just do more stuff for yourself. Um, start an e-commerce store, uh, you know, launch a, a podcast, um, create a little app with someone, learn how to code or design or, you know, do a cyber, like literally anything that just helps you get your hands dirty and be hands on for the fun of it and not have like an outcome expected to it. Um, that's been like the, the real career accelerator for me. Um, being able to speak from experience rather than just from kind of theory or or secondhand knowledge. It's cool that you you've you're you're living this this career power up. You're you know you have swipe files, this community. You have uh, you know swipe wall now, and you've tried out many different things. So that's cool that you are living and breathing this and applying it. And it's a great way to learn new skills too, right? Like when you're oh yeah hired to uh, to do a podcast, or I'm guessing that's why. Uh, you were able to consult for Riverside because you had a, you have a show or you you know you you're familiar yeah, with yeah exactly so. yeah there's a lot more um like you get a lot more luck that way too just doing stuff and always telling people about it this is the idea of the the luck surface area and it's kind of just the the combination of doing and telling so if you're doing a lot of stuff you're not telling anyone about it then it's all in a vacuum no one knows about it you can't really capitalize on those opportunities but if you're just like making much of noise about nothing. Uh, you're not really doing anything, you're not living an interesting life, you're not building cool stuff, then no one really feels the need to listen to you or, you know, it's kind of just a lot of noise, not a lot of signal. But if you can do a lot of really cool stuff and you tell a lot of people about that cool stuff, building public is kind of the biggest um, manifestation of this, I think. Then you become this magnet for uh, opportunities and people associating you with different ideas, um, throwing your name in the, in the ring for you. Um, going to bat for you and vouching for you and just getting bought into the ideas that you're working on. And uh, so again, another one of those like side project, second order benefits is that um, uh, people notice that and they see that. And if you do a good job of marketing those projects, then um, you know later on you can sell one of those projects or you can partner with someone else or might pivot into something else you didn't even think of in the, in the first place. But because you did the work of going through that side project, now you have this experience to go and 
um, you know, pivot to something else or even translate that experience into a job, uh, into a, another fun side project, into a consulting gig, like the opportunities are endless that way. That's totally true. I, I love how you put it. It can turn into an added source of income. It could be your main hustle. You, you mentioned about like you, you could give you a, a leg up when you're applying to a job or like, oh, it's cool. You have a disciplined community. We're looking to build a community. Mm-hmm. It looks like you have experience <laughs> on it. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, how you would give advice to your younger self. Like if you had to, if you could travel back in time uh, and you can give your younger Corey, the younger, the younger version of Corey, uh, um, a message through time. What would be an advice you would give your younger self? Uh, and it could be one or two or or any kind of pieces of advice around career, around marketing, around even life in general. Beyond just like start more side projects, I would say do more things even outside of marketing. Um, do more design stuff. Do more programming stuff. Um, do more like get more experience to just kind of like trying to get your hands dirty with customer success and upselling and even sales in particular. Uh, just like kind of like broaden your experiences within the business so that you at least can empathize with people in those things. But also, I think you can take a lot of those experiences and a lot of those skills into marketing, and then you're a better marketer, a marketer who can design absolute killer, your case study number one, a marketer who can program, amazing founder, indie hacker, a marketer who can, you know, do sales. Now you can, you know, you have both sides of the, or both skills, right? You're you have two swords in your hand. Um, anyways, I wish I would have done more of that instead of just being like so focused on marketing and thinking, well, I just need to be like a, a specialist. You know, I've learned now that I'm very much a generalist, but I wish I would have leaned into that earlier and more. And what would you what would you have doubled down on? What would you tell your your younger Corey to like Corey <laughs> double down on coding <laughs> or Corey yeah, double down think, on uh, on design? I think I would have done um, more design. I'm not like a great designer, but uh, I don't think I could ever see see myself doing a lot of programming. I'd love to be able to just do like an MVP, just kind of like build a hack stuff on the weekends and build stuff that I want to see exist. Um, but like very functionally and practically, I think design just touches so many different parts of the world where it's like, you know, it'd be easier for me to be able to stitch together social media graphics um, or like illustrate what I'm thinking for different EY elements in Swipewell um, or like be able to touch the CSS on my site or in my, you know, the HTML CSS on my emails to like configure the, the design of the content. That stuff is very like practical and useful. And um, it's fun just being able to like turn ideas into something visual that you can show other people. This reminds me of, uh, I don't know who brought it up on Twitter or somewhere else around this idea of personal moat, where you, when you combine like, several yeah. things that, you know, you could end up having something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. It's sort of like, what's the, the intersection and the application of two or three unique uh, skills? And it becomes like its own kind of new thing. Now, that personal mode is, you're not just the marketing guy, you're the marketing design guy, for example. You know, you're not just the, the programming guy, you're the programming guy who can do sales. Well, okay, that's a superpower. I love geeking out about marketing mental models and frameworks. That's what Marketing Powers is all about. You can find out more about Corey Haynes and his work by joining the marketing newsletter Swipe Files on swipefiles.com and following him on LinkedIn and Twitter. You can find those links in the show notes and description. Thanks to Corey for being on the show. If you enjoyed this episode, you'd love the Marketing Power-Ups newsletter that I send out each week. I share the actionable takeaways and break down the frameworks of world-class marketers from each episode. 
can go to marketingpowerups.com to subscribe and you'll instantly unlock the five best marketing frameworks the top marketers use to hit their KPIs consistently and wow their colleagues. If you want to say thank you, please like and follow Marketing Power Ups on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you're feeling extra generous, kindly leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave a comment on YouTube. It goes a long way for others finding out about Marketing Power Ups. Thank you to Mary Salden for creating the artwork and design. Thanks to 42 Agency for sponsoring this episode. And of course, thank you for listening and tuning in. Well, that's all for now. This is your host, Ramley John. Until the next episode, have a powered up day. Bye.